It's Tuesday, October 18th. Welcome to Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, joining me in studio today for Million Dollar Portfolio, Jason Moser. Happy Tuesday. Happy Tuesday. Ready to get your earnings on? I guess. What do you mean you guess? Well, I'm tired, man. I was up late last night. And I'm going to I'm going to just give you a little little idea of what I was doing okay. last night. And really what has been going on in the last 6 months of my life. Good. I'm now, really looking forward to you justifying this whining. Well, it's going to yeah, it's going to be a bit of a of, of a of a moaning session here, but so somehow or another I landed the sweet gig of being the president of my HOA. Now, this was not really something that I wanted. But it became apparent to me that someone needed to do it because otherwise it was not going to be done well, and I had to go through the process of trying to get a special assessment passed through our neighborhood. And the process of doing that is not easy. It's like the the HOA documents themselves. I think were written back in the days of yore, like officially <laughs> the days of yore. So it was between the back and forth with the lawyers and the community management company, and then. God forbid you actually get a resident of the community to just cast a friggin' vote. <laughs> you know, I mean, it just finally wrapped it all up last night. And I'm happy to say everybody will be very, very happy to know that we got the assessment passed. Wow. I know. Is your homeowners association going to throw you a party or a parade <laughs> or something? I, I think they, they're probably more. Uh, you know, interested or, in like, or do you uh, think a few of them are just kicking back, <laughs> laughing, going, "Wow, we suckered yeah. him into it." Either, either they probably want to key my car for actually getting this thing passed through. But, but honestly, it was, uh, it, it was all, it was all really long-term thinking at its finest. Well, and, you know what? Uh, you deserve a little movies and pizza, a little kicking back with movies and pizza, and perfect timing. We're going to talk Netflix and like Domino's Pizza and a couple other earnings as well. Uh, let's start with Netflix, though. Third quarter profits. And subscriber growth came in much higher than expected, and the stock up 18, 19% this morning. Holy cow. Yeah, didn't it do like the opposite last quarter? Yes. So this is basically like just the other side of the coin, right? The number of analysts who have come out over the last 12 months and said some version of the following statement you know, this is a really tough company to predict. <laughs> I'm starting to believe them. I'm, I'm starting to believe them when they say, you know that it's not just oh, I got this one wrong. It, it and it seems like streaming in general is a tough space for a lot of analysts to get their head around. But Netflix, especially in this case, yeah, a lot of people getting this one wrong. Yeah, I think they've answered certainly the question in regard to the at least in the near term the health of the business. I mean, the concern over subscriber growth was warranted. I think to to the degree that the the space has gotten far more competitive. Uh, now than, than it ever has been, um, and it, it probably is getting somewhat saturated here domestically. So then the big question is international growth and what kind of opportunity is there? And they completely blew past um, the expectations for that subscriber growth internationally. So that obviously is a big plus. They forecast uh, continued strength in in uh, that that international segment, and this is all. In the face of really what looks like now not really much opportunity in China, when before I think you know there were probably a lot of people thinking that might be actually a, a big opportunity, and so yeah, I think that I mean Netflix is a tough one to wrap your head around. In that it, it you know they they have to generate all of these different sorts of streaming uh, agreements, these these licenses and whatnot, which is why they're doing more and more of their own content. And I think that you know that's going to prove out to work very well for them in the long run. I mean, we've seen 
HBO's numbers and how that works. I mean, it really does translate into very attractive bottom line growth. At the end of the day, it just takes a while to implement. And so, I think that you know, being the first sort of mover in this space uh, was certainly a big a big advantage for Netflix. And and it doesn't hurt that they're led by a very driven and passionate and smart guy in Reed Hastings. Um, I feel like you know Reed Hastings is a guy we probably held under a microscope here for for some time. Everybody, I guess, sort of makes mistakes and missteps and whatnot. But he he genuinely, to me, seems like a a guy who's grown a lot as a CEO and as, as a leader. And I think he's done a phenomenal job with his business. And I, I mean, it's hard to find anything really wrong with what they're doing. <laughs> Just to put some numbers behind it, in terms of what was expected in terms of subscriber growth in the U.S., three hundred thousand. They added three hundred seventy thousand internationally. As you indicated, there are expectations of two million new subscribers. They got three point two million. Yeah, and it just seems like, from a programming standpoint, what they have done in the U.S. seems like it can pretty nicely translate to other. Countries, other regions, and what I mean by that is not necessarily like, oh, well, we made it here, we'll just send it everywhere, but just the approach of, and it really does seem like they they are pretty hands on in terms of their programming, in terms of original programming, uh, helping to shepherd projects along, uh, and I, I'm sure I mentioned this the last time we we looked at their quarterly report. If you just look at the category of comedy and the way that they have. Built out original comedy, not just scripted series, but also specials, that sort of thing. That's that, that's the kind of thing that will easily translate into other countries. Yeah, I think so, and I think that you're going to see more and more of that hands-on nature. I mean, they said in the shareholder letter that when it comes to uh, sort of licensing out uh, the the produced material versus like being the actual hands-on producers and creators of content, they find that being the actual hands-on producers and creators of the content. Is less expensive in the long run because it gives them more control. It gives them actually the freedom to give the producers and creators the, the control to to produce what they know their their viewers want. But then, that is content that they genuinely own for a long time to come, and and eventually it's paid for and just translates into nothing but profitability. I think I think probably the one challenge, and this is not particular just to Netflix. I think it's just around the entire space is that. With the concept of binge watching now, um, I, I think that these shows don't live quite as long of a life, which sort of it makes it more expensive to kind of run this style of business. And so, if you go back in time and you think about what HBO has done, um, they they were sort of the pioneers of this original content. Um, Notion and they did really, they've done really well with it. The Sopranos, I think, is a good example of a, of a show that really was able to live a very, very long life and it's still even relevant today. I mean, people will subscribe to HBO just so they can watch um, The Sopranos, but I think that now because of, of this binge watching, they just don't live the same life. And, and it's, it's not just binge watching, but it's because of there's so much competition out there, there's so much content out there now. I mean, I don't understand how anybody has the time to to watch it all. I mean, it seems like a lot of people do a lot of TV watching, and maybe that's a testament to what's uh, you know ultimately going on uh, in the country <laughs> right now. I don't know, but there, I know for me, there's just way more content out there than I could ever have time to watch, and so I think that uh, it becomes a, a a matter of really 
having great content, and I think that Netflix is doing a good job of bringing really compelling content to the forefront. And you know, I think the dark horse here, it, it, it's worth mentioning Amazon. I think Amazon, a few years ago, we didn't really give them the time of day where this was concerned. They've actually come through with some pretty pretty good stuff as well. And and I think that you know that's an interesting play right there, just because they offer that streaming business as a standalone purchase uh, subscription but but we also know that you get it as a prime member and and so we don't really look at it as sort of uh, close up as we do with Netflix but again you can see the benefits of having a robust video platform whether it's standalone Netflix or whether it's uh, complimentary in in Amazon these guys know what they're doing it's just this entire space has just changed so quickly for the better United Health, which is the largest health insurer in the U.S., uh, reported their third quarter profits came in higher than expected. They raised guidance, stock up about six percent this morning. This, this seems like a, a yet another strong quarter. Yeah, and it turns out that when you decide to exit businesses that are losing money, the market tends to like that. Yeah, generally <laughs> so, a fan of that. Yeah, I think I think this the uh, you know the move to get out of government subsidized healthcare for them makes sense. I mean, at the end of the day, no matter what it is, economics rule, and and if the economics aren't going to work, then then as a business, you have to make the decision as to whether it's really worth pursuing. And I think they. Ultimately, didn't see much there, which is actually kind of damning if you think about it, because United Health is is really the biggest dog out there in this space, and if they can't make the economics work, well, that's going to be sort of a challenge there. I think just uh, in the greater sort of, of field of just of just healthcare legislation, um, it, it's just a constant. Source of of angst for politicians and people, and it's um, you know there's no easy solution. But I think generally speaking, as we see with most most things, the more competition that's out there, that tends to work out better for people. And healthcare is something we all need, but it's also worth remembering that doctors aren't born that way. <laughs> it costs a lot of money to grow. A very well-educated and effective healthcare workforce. So uh, a lot of forces at play there, but uh, generally speaking, United Healthcare being the biggest dog in the space—that's a big advantage. Yeah, I saw one story online that uh, that included uh, this sentence: United Health, along with Aetna and Humana, have said they will pull back from the Affordable Care Act individual insurance market in 2017, citing financial losses due to the costs of covering members. Who are sicker than expected? <laughs> I just thought, yeah, if you're an insurance, if you're in the health insurance business, yeah, you definitely don't want people sicker than you were expecting. No, no, it's it's uh, it, it's just a really, God forbid, people get sick. It's yeah, well, you know, it's gonna happen. <laughs> what was and, the Chris Chris Rock had a bit about that where it's like, you know, insurance is just in case, it, in it, case of in. Well, it's like you just rename it in case of because that's it's in case that's it's going it to happen works. at some point. You know, it's it's going to happen, and we got to have some way to deal with it. Yahoo reports their latest quarterly results after the closing bell this afternoon. You looking forward to the conference call? Uh, I was <laughs> until I found out that they're not having one. No call. <laughs> I know. Why is there no call? Well, I guess I kind of get it. I mean, I, I think that the I mean the point with Yahoo now. I mean, we know the Verizon deal is sort of outstanding there. Um, the big news with Yahoo being the the data breach that just is is phenomenal to think about on so many levels. Um, 
500 million that's a lot. email accounts compromised in 2014. That's a lot. Which really sucks, by the way. Let me tell you, because I have a Yahoo email address. I know, I'm a stonager. Uh, but I've had this Yahoo address forever. And so, you know, you get sort of stuck with that being your email address. Like, that's just where all of your stuff goes. So now I'm finding myself every day, I've basically set the goal with every day I try to change my email address over to Gmail with just one entity in my inbox so that eventually the Yahoo mailbox will be nothing but just useless spam and I won't have to consult it anyway. Um, but yeah, I mean, I, I think that. If they had a call this afternoon, don't you think the first 10, 20 questions would have been about the. Uh, Related in some way to the data breach, I think it would have been nothing but questions regarding the data breach and and whether this is going to give Verizon uh, cause to to go back and ask for more concessions, and and I think there's probably something there too. So I think they they wisely are just getting themselves out of the spotlight and completely eliminating it as a factor. Um, Verizon, I'm sure, would probably like to get some more information, but it doesn't sound like we're going to get it today. I think if you're a Verizon shareholder. You, I think it's completely fair to look at the people running the company that you're a part owner of, and say, you know what? Go back and get some concessions out of this. I would get a lower price. Get them to agree to lower price. Something because there were there were already people who weren't fans of the deal to begin with, and that was before the information came out about the data breach. So now it's oh, you paid that amount of money. And there was a data breach from two years ago that they never told you about. And it's not even like it was just sort of a data breach where you just can kind of let it slide. I mean, this is the biggest data breach basically we can find. <laughs> like yeah. this is just massive. Um, and now, I mean, the yeah, if you're, if you're target, I, you know, if you're target, you're just like our data breach was only you know seventy million people. It wasn't five hundred million. Oh, I mean, the upside there, I would imagine, is that most of that data is probably fairly stale. I mean, I don't think Yahoo has necessarily been the most robust platform for users. They have a couple of valuable valuable properties uh, we've talked about before with finance, obviously, do well with sports, uh, fantasy football, stuff like that. But but generally speaking. It just doesn't seem to be as relevant a a media property as it once was. So I'm sure Verizon will get some concessions there, but I don't know that they'll get a whole heck of a lot because I really don't think Yahoo is worth all of that anyway. Let's wrap up with Domino's Pizza. Third quarter profits rose 25%, and same store sales were up 13%. Pizza, man. 13%. What was that Leno said that? Even bad pizza is still pizza. Is yeah. that what he said? Yeah, I think there's something to that. Yeah, I mean, uh, like I, I, Domino's is one of those ones. It just seems so obvious, and then you look at it and you see what it's done over the past five years, and it's been phenomenal. And it's actually right up there with Papa John's. Like Papa John's and Domino's together over the last five years, you could have retired off of those. You've pizzas. done well. Yeah, I mean, it's you've been. And, and the weird thing is, we were talking about this before taping, is that like the pizza itself. I mean, no offense. Pizza's like everybody's got their own thing, right? It's not the most compelling pizza in the world, is it? It's not, although I remember years ago, uh, Matt Kopenheffer, our colleague who's now over in Germany, was in the studio, and we were talking about pizza. 
And I said, what's, what's your go-to pizza? And he said Domino's. And I, really? and I said, I was like, really? Are you kidding me? Because I... I <laughs> because in the U.S., the the most dominant pizza chain is Independence. Yep. If you're just looking at a, a pie chart, and no uh, pun intended. No pun right intended. But Copenhagen said it's reliable. I know what I'm getting. Yeah. I don't have to think twice. And so the rely. So I agree. And I think there are people who feel that way about. I mean, there isn't that why chain restaurants succeed to the sure. extent that they do is because you know what you're getting. You know what you're and getting. And so is Domino's the best pizza? I don't think so, but <laughs> I know I also know it's not the worst pizza. No, it's not. And and I think that your point is is spot on. It's reliable. You know what you're getting. And they've done a good job with that. And I, I can just testify to uh something is maybe two thousand and four, two thousand and five, we were when we were living in Cairo, Egypt, and we actually got Domino's there in, in Cairo and it was very much in line with what you would normally get um, here. So, I think they've been able to roll this out on a global scale, which has worked out very well for them. And I think that one thing that they've done very well, and Papa John's has also done very well with, uh, is the the convenience factor, the mobile factor. Because I think oftentimes, uh, it does boil down to just trying to get it done quickly and easily. And most of these mom-and-pop joints, don't have apps, or if they do have apps, they're not typically very well uh, designed. They're not so so user friendly. With Domino's and with Papa John's, I mean, they do they they have built out some really really good mobile apps, and so they make ordering very simple. And then because of their scale, they're able to offer pretty easy deals. If you're family like we are, then I mean, you've got sort of the family deal. You can get a couple of pizzas and something to drink or whatever, and it's just it's simple. And I think the other under the radar move that Domino's did really well that sort of uh, has worked out pretty well for them is sort of the rebranding away from Domino's Pizza. Yes. And now it's just Domino's. And that's subtle, but it matters because you don't go to Domino's now just to get pizza. I mean, I think they've run a pretty genius little ad campaign here recently, kind of making fun of people who like salads, uh, where they're saying, hey, you know, you've got everybody in your family wants pizza except for that one person who wants a salad. You know, they ruin the whole night because you can't have pizza because you got to have a salad. And now, you know, they're, they're making the ad, the ad campaign that, hey, you can get the salad too at Domino's. So they, I think they're doing a really good job of, of going beyond just pizza and being. A, a restaurant with a lot of different things. Let me go back to the app for a second because I think it's worth noting if part of what has worked for Domino's, for the business of Domino's with this app, is it's enabled them to lower their cost structure. Oh, easily. And I think that's if you're an investor and you're looking at any sort of business like this in the fast casual space, fast food, whatever. That's what you're rooting for, to the extent that a, a company you own shares of is rolling out a new app. You want it to succeed for a lot of reasons, one of which is something that the company probably won't talk about and you won't think about as a consumer, and that is it enables them to lower their costs. Yeah, and, and with most things, I mean, technology can, can have that effect. Uh, we were talking yesterday about Hasbro and how Hasbro has done such a good job uh, by investors in taking what is relatively modest sales growth and really uh, bringing it down to impressive bottom line growth. Domino's has done very much the same thing. If you look over the last five years, revenue has grown 40% from year one to year five. Net income is up 85%. Earnings per share are up 118%. So, so that is uh, 
you know that 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 is just really bringing out that profitability. I mean, there's some share buybacks there, of course, that help the cause. But but the bottom line is, um, they are they are really managing the cost side of the business well. And um, you know, am I am I going to go home and have Domino's pizza tonight to celebrate this? No, I'm not. As a matter of fact, you know, I promised in going back to my ordeal last night with a stupid HOA meeting that took up most of my time. I had to bring my daughters to this thing, by the way. Now, they're sitting there at this meeting, and they're outside, and they're doing their own work like champs. So, they were really great. I promised them, actually, that I would take them out for a nice dinner tonight. My wife is out of town, and I would take them out for a nice dinner, and then Froyo after. And so, we're going to a local mom-and-pop Italian joint, and and, uh, and, and that'll be great. But um, what I have found, ultimately, and we're on the topic of pizza, I consider and talk about this all day long, um, there is no pizza like like pizza you make yourself. And I have, I think, I am really close to having mastered this process. I know you probably can't believe that. I want to get to that in a second. I got to go back to the business, because something that we've touched on with Domino's, we got to mention the CEO. Oh yeah, Patrick Doyle, who's overseeing everything <laughs> we've been talking about here. Patrick Doyle became CEO in March of 2010. Domino's Pizza was trading at thirteen dollars a share. Okay, so this is six and a half years ago. It's now in the one sixties. Yeah. yeah. Holy cow! And and to give one more shout out, uh, I think we have to we have to call out our own Ron Gross here because Ron. Has been on board with Domino's as an investment for a long time. Yes, he's been behind this one from the, for a, for a long time, and so uh, whether it was on the radio show or stuff that we were doing with our services, uh, and any investors who who followed Ron's lead there have done very well as well. So hey, that's what you call firing on all cylinders. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right. What's the secret? So the secret is uh, it's a number of things, but I think you want to keep it simple. So one of my favorite pizzas, really my favorite pizza. You have a stone? It's a Neapolitan pie. Yes, I do indeed have a stone, and that is the key. You gotta have a stone. So I have a stone, and and I think some people they use their oven. I go outside, I use the grill because I can get it hotter. You want to get this thing as hot as you possibly can. Uh, then it comes down to having a good dough recipe, a good sauce recipe, and making sure you use real buffalo mozzarella cheese. Uh, the the dough, it's just simple: flour, salt, water, yeast. That's all you need. And then you got, you know, I could give you my recipe, but then, then I might have to kill you. It's, it's, okay, it's, yeah. Some, no, something's got to go to the grave. Sauce, keep it simple. You get yourself some good Italian Roma tomatoes, break them down, a little salt, a little pepper, a little oregano, nothing more. And then you just pepper it with that buffalo mozzarella. You get that thing on a good hot preheated stone. God, this sounds exhausting. Why, why would I do this when I can just because it's fire so up my app good. with Domino's? And I know, and that's deliver. the thing. That's why Domino's has <laughs> done so well. Because nine and a half out of ten people would never, never <laughs> undertake the ordeal that I, that I undertake to make their own pizza. But it's really good. Can we, as a nation, get, when it comes to pizza toppings, yes. can we, as a nation, get on board with a single Name for what I refer to as the meatball pizza. You go to some places and it's like, uh, yeah, can I get meatballs on that? And they're fine. Other places, uh, yeah, can I get a meatball pizza? And they look at me like I'm insane. They're like, do you mean ground beef? Oh, uh, well, they're two. Do you mean beef? Do you, you know, yeah. and it's like, no. It's, can't we all get on board with the meatball? The I, I, it's one of my favorite topics. Yeah. It, you know, I mean, again, you know, I, I go back to just. One of my passions is cooking. I love being able to do it, and I got a meatball recipe, Chris. Believe it or not, not going to give it to you, but 
I'll That's make okay. them. I have my own. I'll make them, and they go on top of pizzas too, really well. What's, I'm all, all, all on board with you. What's what? What is your go-to? Like this is you. You can have anything you want on your pizza. What's on it? And then, second question is, what's the pizza where you're like, why in God's name would anyone order that? Please get rid of that. Yeah. So I, I still am not really a fan of the Hawaiian pizza. I know I'll probably rub, rub some people the wrong way there. I just, it's not for me. Like when I'm eating a pizza, I'm not looking for sweet stuff on it, you know? So for me, honestly, I mean, I love a good meatball pie, but if I have my druthers, it is a simple margarita Neapolitan pie. That to me is the essence of pizza and the best. I will also say, back on the topic of streaming and producing really cool content, Amazon has a great new show with Emeril Lagasse, the, the chef. Um, it's called Eat the World. It's like six episodes, and I think the final episode is called The Best Pizza in the World, where he literally goes all around Italy uh, building the ingredients for this best pizza in the world, the olive oil, the the, the cheese, the dough, everything. And it's just... it's. It's really cool. Good you know, show. You know, in New York City, they have pizza tours. I can believe it. You can, like, and there are a few different ones. I haven't gone on it. Um, uh, my wife took uh, one of our daughters. I think it was, uh, sometime last year, and it was it was fantastic. My sister was the one who first told me about it. She did it with her kids, and it's it's just fantastic. You get like the history of pizza. You visit a, a few different local places in New York City, and it, like it, Ray's Pizza. Exactly. Yeah. No, I mean that's cheese pizza. I, I'm wait. with you on the Hawaiian pizza. I'm also I, I just I don't see this very often, but every <laughs> once in a while I will see a mushroom pizza where the mushrooms are not. Cooked. Yeah, that's killing. You got it. What are you doing? Well, so like mushrooms to me, like I don't really like them on a pizza, but if they're gonna be on a pizza, I kind of would rather have them like marinated or something. Like if I make beef strong enough and the mushrooms have been in there soaking that stuff up all day long, that's how mushrooms should be. You know, I get a pie with like mushrooms and they're like dry and nasty. It's just, ugh, God, get it out of yeah. my face. I don't even want it. I'm not gonna even eat. You're all ornery today. Yeah, I'm tired. Uh, be- long night last night. Before you know what, go get yourself a pizza. Uh, before we wrap up, got to give a shout out uh, on the other side of the glass with our man Dan Boyd today. Uh, one of our Supernova members, Michael Noche, visiting from Boston. Yes, sir. He's here with his dad. Um, they Love the father son dynamic. Yeah, it reminds gonna, me of me and my dad. He's, you know what? They're going to be they're going to be doing a little. You, you can talk to them afterwards. They're going to be uh, doing a little golfing down uh, down oh, south a little really? bit uh, later this week. Well, we are going to have to talk. See, about that. see, your mood's turned around already. I, golf, pizza. I mean, the only thing now we needed like uh, a good beer story. We could probably work that in. Well, I got some whiskey. I got some whiskey at my desk. Let's talk. Let's go. Thanks for being here. Thank you. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against. So don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. That's going to do it for this edition of Market Fooler. The show is mixed by Dan Boyd. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you tomorrow.